This is episode 41 with Adrian Garcia Aranos, president of Endeavor Global. Welcome everyone to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor NWA podcast. The whole multiplier effect is not that they've become a unicorn. It's that they've become a unicorn and by doing that, they've actually grown their company at a significant scale. And by doing that, they become the next generation of angel investors. What enamors me and what I see in the future is being able to tell these stories. I want us to grow to be able to get the best and brightest entrepreneurs, to be able to get the best and brightest mentors, and to be able to afford an even better community in the 25 years that are to come now. Welcome back to an all new episode of The Multiplier Effect. Our goal for season two has been to enhance the visibility of our region's growing entrepreneurial ecosystem by exploring organizations that are addressing the challenges founders face in the heartland. And after featuring over 20 organizations that have shared meaningful solutions to strengthen our ecosystem and foster inclusive community and economic development practices, season two has officially come to a close. We wanted to spend our last episode speaking about what we know best here at Endeavor, which is supporting scaling entrepreneurs around the world. And today, we're thrilled to be joined by one of our favorite people at Endeavor to talk about how we unlock the transformational power of entrepreneurship by selecting, supporting, and investing in the world's top founders. Adrian Garcia Aranos, the president of Endeavor Global, joins us. Prior to his role in New York, he was the founding managing director of Endeavor Spain. Prior to that, vice president of media relations for Latin America at J.P. Morgan Chase, America's marketing director and Latin America co-head for the Economist Newspaper Group, foreign trade manager at the Spain-U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and foreign exchange and money markets broker at CM Capital Markets in Madrid. We're so thrilled and privileged to have him join us today, so let's dive in. We are so honored to have you on the show with us today. We trust that you and your family, friends, everyone is safe and doing well. Everyone doing well and all vaccinated, so we're ready to go. Yay! I know. We're getting so excited in our office about that as well. It's, you know, there's certainly a light at the end of the tunnel feeling that's happening all over the world at this point. So super excited. As part of season two, we have interviewed so many incredible entrepreneurial support organizations that are strengthening the Heartland ecosystem for our founders. And today, in closing of our last episode of the season, we're thrilled to be highlighting Endeavor. So as you know, all too well, Endeavor fills such a critical role in helping companies to connect past their immediate regions and elevate high potential geographies for venture capital, talent, and all the other necessary resources for scaling entrepreneurs. So we're thrilled to be chatting with you today, Adrian, on how Endeavor is solving these issues for Heartland entrepreneurs at a global scale. So to kick things off, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what your current role is at Endeavor. Obviously, I know a little bit about this story, but for our audience. <laughs> well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me. Honored to be, to be speaking with you and to be able to be part of the, of the podcast now. Let's see. So a bit more about, about me. So I joined Endeavor by, I don't know, by luck, chance, by accident. I have no idea how to describe it, but basically my prior job before joining Endeavor were, had nothing to do with this uh, the world of entrepreneurship or innovation. They had a lot to do with corporate on the one side. So I spent many years in, in publishing or banking on the other, having spent some years in the core banking side of, of banks and then having spent in, in the communication side last uh, three, four years. So I, I came to this role by, as I said, by chance. I'd known about Endeavor. I'd met Endeavor. Someone that worked at Endeavor had introduced me well over a decade ago. I was 
was fascinated always by the concept. I was fascinated by people I met. And when I say people that I met, I mean from employees to entrepreneurs to board members, everyone it was just fascinating. So I, I always wanted to do more with uh, with Endeavor, wherever I was. When I was at uh, at the Economist, uh, we did we did a bit, uh, and then when I went to uh, JP Morgan, we continued doing some some more because I always had that that kind of with me. No, so what is it? Seven years ago, a bit over seven years ago, I got called for the position of managing director of Endeavor Spain. So I was able to launch that office, ran that office for, for five years, and after five years, I was called to the position of uh, of president of Endeavor Global. So I basically took my suitcases and my family back to New York and started my life here again for the last two and a bit years. I've been I've been doing that. It's a privilege to have you in the state. Much of our audience is familiar with the work that Endeavor does locally in Northwest Arkansas and more broadly the Heartland region. But speak to us about next steps for entrepreneurs who have completed the selection process and are engaged in the programming and support at a global level. Maybe talking to us a little bit about the value of the selection process and how it helps us to identify the most promising scale of companies around the world. So it's very interesting because um, I always say that being in the local office is being in the trenches. And by the way, I miss being in the trenches. I loved being in the local office. I love what I'm doing now and I love to be able to engage with everyone worldwide, but I really miss being able to be much more in touch with the, with the entrepreneurs and with the local ecosystem. Now, you guys are, and everyone else is in the almost 40 offices that we have. So the one thing I always said when I spoke with entrepreneurs is that the biggest waste of time, that's what I would, that was always my pitch. The biggest waste of time is actually going to be the conversation with me. So that first conversation with me was the biggest waste of time because that was me getting to know them a bit, getting to know a bit more about what was keeping them up at night and how we needed to actually tailor our whole network and our whole process to what the needs of that entrepreneur are. Entrepreneur that's scaling is an entrepreneur that's dealing with uh, new markets. Is it a nearing with new verticals? What is it? And based on that, and based on what they're telling me, I can actually figure out which would be the ideal mentors. No? And sometimes it's, I'm the entrepreneur X and I'm interested in ABC and they're very clear on what they want. And sometimes I have some more clarity based on what I've already seen in the past that I know that speaking with ABC type of mentor is going to be much more helpful for this entrepreneur. No, so there's a happy mix. So it's a, it's a bit of a, what they tell me that is keeping them up at night and what I actually see that might be one of those things in the coming years or the coming months just because I've already seen uh, companies that have been going in, in that direction, no? So it's always very curated towards them. I mean, at the end of the day, we have a whole network that is at their disposal. So what we want to do is we want to be able to have a value-added conversations with absolutely all of them, no? So those first initial mentoring sessions, or as we call them, the selection process, no? But at the end of the day, they're mentoring sessions, no? And what we're doing is we're validating what the entrepreneur is telling us with the different entrepreneurs, with the different mentors that actually are able to give feedback back and they're able to tell us if what we've observed in the entrepreneur and what the entrepreneur is telling us is accurate. No, And at the end of the day, since we're touching in so many verticals, we can't possibly know what's going on in those verticals, but we have experts in each one of these fields that can help us assess and at the same time also provide amazing feedback and contacts to these entrepreneurs. No, So that's huge value add, but obviously it's a process that takes a while. And that's the process that entrepreneurs in time is always one of those things that's always struggling. I mean, they don't have time, first of all. And the second part is if, if they do have time and they see that there's a carrot towards the end of that stake, they want the carrot. No, they don't want it. But it takes a while just because when they're doing this process, this process is very curated to them. And that means that we have to do certain series of, of very methodical meetings with certain type of people. No, So it's not meet with five people, check all boxes, and then you know go to the next. It's like, no, meet with these five people and agendas get in the way. No, it's, it's, it's complicated. Even in the Zoom world still, agendas still tend to, to complicate themselves and trying to figure out what works for each party takes a while. So the process itself ends up taking a good six to nine months, not because we one, it's just because there's some pause between it because sometimes they're rushed. Sometimes they can actually do two interviews in one week, but then we won't be able to get a hold of either one of the parties until a month later. No, so it's very important for for us to be able to do this process well and very diligently, so they can actually obtain value from the selection process itself. Once the process is done, we go through the different stages of one, those mentors, 
to the boards and three, the international selection panel, which would be global boards and global entrepreneurs. Once that is done, then they become entrepreneurs. And at that point, we're adding all types of value. They've already received the value of the whole selection process, which is taken, as I, as I mentioned, anywhere between six to nine months to a year or more in some other countries. And now all of a sudden opened up this, this network, this community, you know, and the essence of how we can provide those services is broken down into access to market, access to the talent and access to capital. But at the end of the day, it's really access to anything that the entrepreneur might need that we can actually provide as a network. And sometimes it's someone that we know that is operating in your backyard. So it's an easy connection. Sometimes it might be someone that has been going through the exact same struggles, but in the other side of the world. And it might be in the same struggles in your exact same vertical with the exact same type of client, but they're in the other side of the world, no? And it's getting them together. So it's kind of like taking advantage of the network. What I tend to say with entrepreneurs is when they get in, and we've, we've noticed this, there's types of waves, no? They get into Endeavor and it's kind of like a buffet. You know, you open it up, the buffet is open and there's like all you can eat, no? And you, you eat everything. You start with dessert first and then you realize the buffet is going to be there. So you can kind of plateaus and then you figure out you will use Endeavor whenever you have a specific need. Well, right now I have this issue. I'm going to raise capital. I want to meet entrepreneurs that have done this or I'm going to go into a, expand to a new market that has nothing to do with my geography or my culture. How do I go about that? Or I need to hire, revamp my whole C-level executive team. How do I do that without alienating the people that I have? Or I'm going to IPO and we also have entrepreneurs that have done that. No, And each part is, is very different and there might be very specific needs in which you need a full support of Endeavor for X time. And then you might be there at Endeavor and engaging, but you won't be as active for a couple of months. And then all of a sudden you're back and wait, I now need full support because I need to go through X, Y, Z, no? So it's uh, it's very interesting because the whole thing of the network is that it's actually there to support the entrepreneur. And the great thing of having been doing this for 25 years is that we already have all the expertise and all the tools and all the network available. And there's or basically nothing that the entrepreneurs are gonna go through that hasn't been lived before or is being lived in the present. So we can always figure out who is the ideal person that they could actually connect with. Yeah, I love that. And I love the analogy of a buffet. That is so accurate. It really is true. And, and we've seen that in our own regional office as well. So especially within the U.S. and how companies are engaging with Endeavor and what their needs are throughout the tenure of their experience. So I love that. Speaking of capital, as you mentioned earlier, let's talk about Catalyst for a second. So how do we harness the power of investment to scale Endeavor's impact? I think you could probably speak to that pretty well. Of course. So but it's very interesting. As I mentioned, we've been doing this for, and I said 25 years, accurately, we've been been doing this for 24 years. 25 years will be next year. No? So I'm already getting ahead of myself. But for 24 years, we've been doing this. No? For the first decade and a half, we were supporting entrepreneurs and we were extremely happy where there was something meaningful that happened with them. It could be that they were acquired, that they IPO'd or everything in between, but they had some kind of a capital event. And we'd be great. We'd celebrate it with them. We'd be at the IPO and we'd ring the bell with them. And then we'd go back to our desks and we'd be like, well, we're very happy, but now we're back to square one. We have to you know, support the next generation of entrepreneurs. And at one point we said, well, why don't we put our money where our mouth is? Why don't we support our entrepreneurs. But we have to do this in a way that is core to our value. First and foremost thing is that we are entrepreneur first. I mean, everything that we do has to be guided by entrepreneurs and we cannot be perceived as favoring one entrepreneur or another, no? So we decided to go with this rules-based fund and that's how Endeavor Catalyst is born. Endeavor Catalyst is a rules-based fund in which any entrepreneur that is selected, so Endeavor Entrepreneur, check, that is part of the network. Two, if they're raising more than $5 million in, in capital, so 5 million check. And the third box would be institutional investor led, no? So if those three boxes are checked automatically, 
we will not negotiate with the entrepreneur. We will actually sit on the, on the contrary. We will sit and review the terms with them and we'll tell them, wait, maybe you should not sign this or maybe this should be careful. So our mantra is entrepreneur first and everything is guided by that. The great thing of that is that it provides us one, we're the first ally for the entrepreneurs. And second of all, in some cases, it also allows us to actually go in as that foreign capital that hadn't been going in up until now. It seems that through the pandemic, it's accelerated that lots of foreign investors are now investing in all these foreign markets that before was completely unheard of. But up until now, we were the only US investor who was investing in the Middle East and Africa and Latin America and Southeast Asia. But obviously now the world has become even more global thanks to the pandemic. So we've seen that trend. And, and, and I think before the pandemic, we were starting to slowly see it. I think this is just accelerated. It allows us to actually be part of our, the entrepreneurial journey in a way in which we actually put, again, our money where our mouth is, and we can actually give them hand in hand and support in that journey. It is in a way a bit of a service because the, the reality is that we're doing this, yes, and we're doing this and we're hopefully going to see great returns. Amazing. That would be exceptional. Amazing. But again, we're doing this because we truly believe that we're supporting our entrepreneurs and we're, we're telling the world and we're telling the local ecosystems and the global ecosystems, we believe in those entrepreneurs. We're not only going to be willing to support them with network and with everything that I mentioned before, but we're also going to put capital now. And that was a bit, the reality of, of Catalyst has been that. And it's fascinating to see that you fast forward eight, nine years after in Catalyst 3, which is the, the composition of which we're at, and you see that we've invested in 181 companies out of which 10% of them are unicorns. I mean, so it's fascinating. We were not looking into that. We were obviously aspiring to that. We were aspiring to actually just be able to identify the best. We were aspiring to actually be able to be true to our rules and also to our entrepreneur first mantra. And we've done this. And 10 years later, you actually see this is working. There's some returns. It is entrepreneur first. The entrepreneurs never see us as a stone in the way. So we're always an ally to the entrepreneurs. And there's no conflict of interest there because it's all very clearly rules-based and we're not competing with other VCs. We're not competing with entrepreneurs. We're not telling. So it's basically, it's a very neutral participant, but a very value add participant. And someone that the entrepreneurs always want to see represented in the cap table because they know that we are truly entrepreneur first and they know that we're not going to be guided by investment criteria. What we really want is what's best for the entrepreneur. And if what's best for entrepreneurs sometimes it's against what investors might want we will not be taking that position we want what is best for the entrepreneur and not only that we want what's best for the entrepreneur now and when they're launching their second company because we believe in entrepreneurs we will also support them in those second companies and by the way part of our portfolio also second companies from entrepreneurs the entrepreneurs that we've identified are truly these scale-up leaders that go on to be second and third and fourth generation entrepreneurs too no? you know something that i always say is endeavor is one of the most sustainable models that i've ever seen in entrepreneurial support and that's due to the fact that it is built on such trusted relationships. Highly vetted, that brings a lot of success, I think, for everybody involved. Speaking to some of the changes that we've seen throughout the pandemic, agility and creativity has arguably been, you know, most essential for companies this past year. What are some of the most inspiring ways which we, we've we seen you, you know, post about occasionally? If you follow Adrian on LinkedIn, you might see this. What are some of the ways that you've seen Endeavor entrepreneurs do this to retain clients and expand their business during such a crisis-heavy time? So let me try to see if I can actually mention some generic examples without citing names, because when I cite names, then I'm being told, why did you not cite this other name? Because I, <laughs> I want to be equally representative to the 40 markets in which we operate. But I'll tell you, it's been extremely inspiring. And the, and the reason why I also took on to LinkedIn is because there were so many great stories to be able to tell now. But through the core of the pandemic, a lot of the entrepreneurs left their business models a bit aside. No, they, they weren't, they knew that it was a pandemic. They knew that things were going to change. They knew that it was going to be a shift. Many of them had already done their homework. That was great. I mean, they were digital, they were tech enabled. So the pandemic kind of caught them with their homework done. No, but at the same time, they left their business models behind sometimes and they just thought how can we fight through this together no how can i how can i defend that uh, i have a staff of x and i need to not let go of anyone how can i defend that i have a business model that's based on x and i can use it to mm, i don't know optimize distribution no in things that are needed and it was beautiful to see 
how they actually went into it with that mentality. And many of them with that mentality were able to actually adapt their businesses and be able to do something out of it. You know? From being able to create robots that disinfect the whole areas and factories and workplaces, to be able to distribute essential goods, or even fabricate goods because they had already the, the process in place in their the current businesses, they could actually do some essential supplies for during during the core part of the of the pandemic. No? And even seeing how, how some entrepreneurs were able to, to focus much more on, on their labor, on their workforce, and figure out ways in which they would not let go of anyone and completely redo their business model and still be able to save jobs. And many of these were like your traditional brick and mortar restaurants, figuring out ways in which you, you know, you go from being a restaurant to being a dark kitchen. You've saved your workforce, you've actually adapted to the pandemic, and you're just rethinking completely what you're doing. Now, there were so many amazing examples all over the world. I mean, ed tech companies that were allowing their platforms to be used for free because they knew that people were now at their homes and kids were in their homes as well. There's really examples. I mean, in every vertical, I can think logistics, ed tech, obviously in, in med tech. I mean, there's so many examples that you could think. And when I think of the example, I'm thinking of Colombia, Spain, Turkey, Jordan, Indonesia. There's examples come to mind absolutely everywhere. The more I say names, the more other countries come up of, of, of examples that I'm thinking. Again, I don't want to mention any example by name because I know that if I do, then I'll, I'll get scolded for not having said the other 14. But I, I can tell you that very extremely proud of our entrepreneurial community worldwide and, and how amazingly compassionate and, and passionate they are. And then how they were able to leave these things aside and just figure out how they could help others and how they could help their own, their core, and how they could actually also even focus on, on lessons that they've learned and figuring out how they could actually use those lessons towards the next. At the beginning of the pandemic, we had Italy was one of the first countries that was heavily hit. And we had the Italians tell, telling the world how they were actually dealing with the pandemic because they were the first country that had gone officially into lockdown. No, And they were like, well, this is what we did. This is what I should have done. This is what I didn't do. This is what, so it was very inspiring. It was very, I don't know, I, I felt really good to be part of this, of this community because I really saw our entrepreneurs are extremely altruistic and selfless. I, and, and I think the core word of the word would be just the selflessness of our entrepreneurs. No? Perfect way of putting that. I mean, it was certainly a light amongst a lot of darkness that I think that globally, we were all impacted by through inspiration that our entrepreneurs were able to share. It was certainly a redemptive perspective. You're, you're speaking to, we know that building more robust networks outside of our uh, entrepreneurs local area is critical to ensure the honest and radical feedback on strategy and scale progression. So maybe talk to us about the importance of network influencing economic impact and growing regions like the heartland and how Endeavor is championing this. So the core of what Endeavor is at the end is it's a network, it's a community, you know? So the reality of, of Endeavor's success is actually based on that community, you know? And I feel that that's the important part of what we need to embrace. I mean, the community aspect of it is of a core importance, not only in the different geographies or the different regions, but actually worldwide. And I would actually say that there's even more to it. You know, if, you, if we think about how this impacts and influences entrepreneurs in underserved areas or rural areas or emerging markets, it's being able to be part of that network is being able to be connected and it's being able to have someone that can actually tell you don't worry about how you need to be connected or that you're not based out of silicon valley we can still connect you to the best and brightest and because we have your back we have that interest in art and we've been 24 years doing this and we've been 24 years building our networks and our networks are based on people just exactly with like you and they've had the same challenges and we've already been able to build it i mean you have to think that we're over 2,000 entrepreneurs worldwide over 500 board members worldwide but well over five six thousand mentors worldwide so between that and our team of 500 or staff of, of 500 people, I mean, we're talking about close to 10,000 people heavily connected. And not only that, they fully embrace the Endeavor model. So they know that they're they're part of this broader ecosystem. They're part of this community. But the importance of it, to the question you made, we recently came up with a report that said that the most successful rural entrepreneurs, they've been successful because they've been connected in their prior lives in metropolitan areas or larger areas, or they've been trained in other areas. So I think that the importance here has to do a lot with us being able to plug that in. You don't have to 
to leave where you're operating to be able to be successful. We can actually come to you and we can actually be able to provide you with all the resources without you having to go to a major city A or major hub A and try to connect and do and do all the all the mingling. Yeah. I mean, obviously the mingling is always also a, a fun part of it. And there's also a, a serendipitous part to that to that mingling, but we can solve so many of those pain points because we know those people. It could be something very far-fetched that you wouldn't think that we have the expertise and it's just reaching out to the network and figuring out who might. I remember once seeing a post about someone that was trying trying to readapt their business and adapting it to uh, selling a, a good consumer good in a vending machine. And did, did they know of anyone that had experience in vending machines? And all of a sudden, in the other end of the world, there was someone that had the perfect experience of vending machines because they had actually built a small building uh, vending machine empire. And they knew the ins and outs of vending machines and, and how they operate and how they operate in different cities and countries and cultures, no? And the mentoring session was was fascinating. But being able to do that, and I feel that some of our entrepreneurs don't leverage us enough. I mean, I, it, it, a lot of the times we have to go to the entrepreneurs and tell entrepreneurs, we're here, what do you need? What do you need, no? So it's difficult for them to, to get a grasp of the power of the network. But the, the importance of, of the network is complete. I think that the more people realize they're part of this network, once they become part of the network, and the more they leverage the network, the more we'll be able to do for them. And on our side, the core part of it is actually trying to build a community, you know, and then figuring out how people feel part of this community so that they actually know that they can go to their account manager or anyone that's managing the vertical or their peer in the other side of the world and be able to, to reach out because um, in the end, we're all part of this for the same reason. No? But to your point of networking, community building, it's a core part and it plays a key role to the economic development. And that is, I mean, it's without question. I think that that's the one thing that we just need to see that it is networks. It is building those, those relationships and those relationships will, will become investors. They'll become clients. They'll become advisors. They'll become everything along the way. They'll become joint venture partners. And we've seen it all at this point. No? And and there's, it's part of the beauty of it. No? And speaking of networks, I, I want to highlight, you know, there's so many different entrepreneurial support organizations that are doing incredible things and, and filling need for our entrepreneurs. So where and how do we work with existing entrepreneurial support organizations in the regions across the U.S.? Since a lot of our audience is based in the U.S. Look, the, the reality of Endeavor is that we're a very, we feel that we're a very unique model. And I've said this many times, if tomorrow there were an organization that wanted to do the exact same as we do, I would want to partner with them. I always say that Endeavor is an open API. I mean, we want to partner with organizations most of the organizations are operating in an area that is way before our time, basically. So we're focused on scale-ups. Now we're focused on those high-impact entrepreneurs, no? the ones that already have a, some traction, a business model. They're about to go to that next phase, no? that scaling point, an inflection point of the, of the curve. No? And most of the organizations that you see all around the world are mainly focused on much more of the either the incubation phase or the acceleration phase and on the early stages. And we love it. We can work with any of them. They can feed us entrepreneurs. We can feed next-generation entrepreneurs. We can feed them to the VC. So we're a very new player because the reality is what we want was best for the entrepreneur and we are we want to be able to be plugged in in very amicable terms with everyone in the ecosystem because the reality is that we are that player we are that player that has there's no other interest than the success of the entrepreneur and if the entrepreneur wants to be part of of, of three networks so be it if that's the, that's the, the kind of, of entrepreneur they are there might be the networking and they might not be they might be more of that introvert and they just want to select one network and they and they select us we will be there for them but the most important thing is how we work with other organizations is, is very important because we have to be that open API. We have to be able to work uh, locally and regionally with any organization that, that is relevant in the community and that leads to us. It's true that we need to figure out what we do and where we do it because uh, given that we're selecting scale-ups, if, uh, if there's an organization that's focused on the PowerPoint stage, that might be way too early for us. Having said that, we can still have a conversation with that PowerPoint entrepreneur and tell them, look, it's too early for you, but come back in four or five months. And if there's some metrics, I would gladly introduce you to XYZ. No? And we've done that several times. And I think that part of the, the beauty of our network is that our network is willing to, to engage. If, it's, if we're able to do the, a bit of that curation, the network is willing to engage. 
know, the, the, what our mentors are, are trying to avoid is, you know, the random person that has a, a random idea, but is not really fully committed to it, wanting to pitch there the idea, but they're really still working in their X, Y, Z job. No, if we're able to actually determine this, this entrepreneur, this is they've, they've left everything that they, they were doing. They're focusing on this problem. It's been six months. They've actually grown. They actually have their first clients. Do you want to mentor them on key aspects? They will be delighted. The truth is the reality of, of what we do in our day to day is more on the scale up phase. So basically what we'll be looking at is entrepreneurs that are at a different stage. They have already a handful of employees. They have a, a presence maybe in other markets. They've already proven their model by far. And they're now looking into other verticals or other areas of their markets. No, but again, the essence of it is being able to work with other organizations that can actually feed into us entrepreneurs and we can feed them into in entrepreneurs if, it, if that's the case. It could be vertical specific and we can actually recommend them from, from different verticals or it could be in the incubation acceleration stage and they're ready for endeavor. No, but again, I, I think that if there's one thing I want to emphasize is that open API kind of way in which we in which we operate now. Yeah, and I think that that lends to so much flexibility and maybe even what our future entails. So speaking to some of that, what are some of the most exciting things that you're looking forward to maybe in the next five to 10 years for Endeavor? The most exciting thing for us is to be able to be a bit of, bit of a more known brand. No, I think that Endeavor is a very well-kept secret and it's it's been a very well-kept secret and it, within the circles in which people know Endeavor, they know it, but outside of our circles, people don't know it. I'd love us to be a bit more well-known. Having said that, I think that that's something that we can easily piggyback from the success of our entrepreneurs. So a lot of it has to do with selecting the best and brightest now and seeing them, them scale. And we're always, we always see these cycles. No, we're not right now. We're in, a, we're in a beautiful cycle in which we're seeing so many of our entrepreneurs becoming these, these unicorns and these examples and these, and, and by the way, when I speak about the unicorns and everything, don't think about the unicorn evaluation. That's the headline. That's what the financial times does. And, and, and Bloomberg does. And it's great because that's what people want to read about. But in, in our case, what we're really looking into is everything that means the whole multiplier effect that's behind it. No, it's not that they've become a unicorn. It's that they've become a unicorn. And by doing that, they've actually grown their company at, at a significant scale. And by doing that, hopefully they've also been able to get some capital out of it and they become the next generation of angel investors and the entrepreneurs that were working with the, the, the staff that was working for it with them realizes that wait scaling a company is something that these guys were able to do i can do it myself and i've identified this pain point i'm going to do it and all of a sudden it's the founders that come from you know the companies that were founded the investors that come from those companies the investors that are actually incentivized to invest in other companies because that investment went well no then there's the, the whole idea of the other companies that are providing so it's the whole multiplier effect and that's the reality of what we're about no so what enamors me and what I see in the future is being able to tell these stories more and more and being able to actually emphasize much more on what that is the core of what we do. And by that, being able to leverage the successful entrepreneurs to get uh, get our brand more known, but not because of our brand for our brand. It's for our brand for our entrepreneurs' sake. No, at the end, I, I want I want us to grow to be able to get the best and brightest entrepreneurs, to be able to get the best and brightest mentors, and to be able to forge an, an even better community or a network in the 25 years that are to come. No. Very exciting times. We're going to pivot here to a couple of Endeavor segments that we have. We want to highlight our sponsor for the season, Northwest Arkansas Council. They aim to ensure our region's successful future by working with partners to advance our quality of life, improve the region's workforce, create job opportunities, and keep up with the region's impressive growth. There are so many things to love about the Heartland, so we're asking each guest on our show, what do you love most about working with entrepreneurs in the Heartland? I can tell you what I love about working with entrepreneurs. And what I love about working front with entrepreneurs is the inspiration. I mean, it's so inspiring. It's so, you learn every minute. It's And that is, is unsubstitutable. I mean, that's the, the one thing. Just being able to engage and also just being able to see them grow and being able to to be even be a fly on the wall in some of the conversations and be able to 
do those key introductions that are so meaningful for them and take you five minutes to just be able to provide that contact A with contact B, no? So for me, the one word would be the, the, the inspiration, the inspiring. I mean, that that for me, that's that's my fuel. That's my motivation. I love it. I, I feel the same way. It's certainly an energizing environment to be in. Uh, our founder, as you well know, Linda Rotenberg, has always said, call me crazy. Crazy is a compliment. So we'd like to ask each guest on our show, what has been your call me crazy moment? Let's see. There's there's many call me crazy moments. Uh, but but I would say that uh, having having been for, for a decade and a half, very focused on, on a corporate career and, and being in these relatively well-known brand names, I think that guess that my most call me crazy moment was the time that I decided that I was going to leave a very well-established bank and with a very clear trajectory with bosses and teams that I absolutely adored that I still speak with to date and and, and, and I miss dearly to be able to take on this adventure of, of setting up the Endeavor chapter in Spain. I, and I think that was a, a crazy moment that I never regret, but it was definitely crazy. And not only that, I was called crazy for doing it by many people. Never have I regretted that for a moment, but it, it is true that that was uh, maybe one of my most crazy moments after, as I said, a decade and a half of well-established established uh, reputable names that everyone absolutely knew, you know, major banks, major publishing firms, major, so major uh, governments and government entities. So I guess it was a, a crazy moment, but one that I've never really looked back and thought that it was a, it was too, too much of a crazy idea. Well, we're glad that you never looked back. And then lastly, something quick and digestible for our guests. We have a few rapid fire questions for you that our listeners like to know. What time do you wake up and what is bedtime? It's 6.30 because I have a, a, a routine. Normally I'm, I'm up before 6.30 and bedtime is normally 12-ish. So I don't get as much sleep as I want. Every day I, I tell myself, I'm going to do better. I'm going to either go to bed earlier or wake up later, but uh, neither one of those ever happened. What are you reading right now? Well, as I mentioned, I worked at The Economist for many years. I, I haven't read a, a good book for, for quite some time, but I read The Economist from cover to cover every week. So that's my my reading material is my weekly. I download my Economist subscription on my Thursday afternoon is when the online uh, edition comes up and then my iPad and I read it from cover to cover by the end of the week. So I, I'm, I already have a cadence. That's a great habitual read. I like that one. Name one new habit you've developed in a, well, I guess we're kind of still in quarantine, but post-quarantine world. I guess you've named it. It's it's taking on to LinkedIn. I mean, I think that my LinkedIn habit has been my COVID habit. I, I got into this, uh, in this into this routine and I, I do it every day for the last seven months just because there's always an inspiring story coming out of Endeavor. And I felt that I needed to share it with, with the world or at least with my immediate community. You know? Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Adrian. It, this was a pleasure speaking with you as always. We're so fortunate to have a rich network across the world supporting entrepreneurs, you included. And we look forward to continuing in our pursuit of failing companies across the world. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for this for this time. It was I, I enjoyed it a lot and, uh, and I hope that our <laughs> listeners did too. Special thanks to Adrian for joining us on the show today. As always, you can find more information about this episode on our website at EndeavorNWA.org. It's also a great resource to learning more about our selection process. We're eager to be sharing plans for season three in the coming weeks. You can expect us back at the studio with a teaser for the new season in May. We already have so many exciting guests we're eager to share with you on the show. See you soon. Mm-hmm.